it'll be fun. It'll be good, though. Um, let me pray for us. We'll get started. Lord, thank you. Uh, thank you that you do love us. Thank you that you're with us. Um, we ask that uh, tonight you would help us understand uh, ourselves, certainly. Uh, and even more importantly, would we even understand you within this aspect of marriage, of communicating and conflict, and understand how you are always moving towards us. Uh, always. That's, that's your heart. That's your work. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so um, this is what we've done so far. We've looked at what the ultimate meaning of marriage is, and we've come to the conclusion that the ultimate meaning of marriage is what? You don't have to have the words that I said, but something generally in that direction would really be good. The ultimate meaning of marriage is compatibility. No. The ultimate meaning of marriage is being best friends. No. What's the ultimate meaning of marriage? What is it? The ultimate meaning. This is the engine. This is the basis. This is the rock that the marriage is built on. Yes. Amanda. Yeah, that's why you married her. That's exactly right. God brought you together. So God did the work. Because he did the work, get to work on your marriage. Right? That's the most solid, life-giving, freeing, confident, self-forgetting, powerful engine foundation for marriage. It's not your emotions. It's not your feelings. It's not anything that you've done. It's not, we could say in the language of Paul, um, in one sense, it's not justification by works. That's not the foundation of your, your marriage. It's justification by faith. It's like God did the work. Because he did the work, get to work. Because he brought you and made you one, figure out how to work things out, communicate, learn to love each other, be a part of the adventure of building your life and your relationships around Jesus and his salvation together with your best friend and your lover. Okay? All right, good. So stop looking. The, the exhortation is get to work and stop looking for some other work. There's no other work for you in your marriage. There's no other meaning for you. There's not it. And you can actually save yourself some money and save me some time uh, in marital counseling by just recognizing that. Because what will end up happening and what always happens is someone will come to me and the first thing that happens in our discussions is they all they're telling me what they think the ultimate meaning of marriage is. I just don't love them anymore. Oh, so your feelings of love is the ultimate meaning of marriage. I just don't, or this happened, or that, or, you know, we got into this marriage in a sinful way, and it never began good. The ultimate meaning of marriage is God brought you all together. He did the work. That's it. And from there comes all the power of the grace of God and the present work of God in your relationship, in your marriage, okay? All the hope in the world. You always have hope. You can always come expectant, knowing that he's working in your relationship. You're never in a place where there's no hope, Aragorn, right? Okay, so don't look for another word. What we did the next time is what are the ultimate roles in marriage? What are the ultimate roles in marriage? Well, each spouse gets to play the savior. 
Each spouse gets to play it. Each spouse gets to play an aspect of the Savior's work in marriage. Uh, the wife, this is, I, I'm, I've been trying to find some image to recast verbiage and ideas in the scripture because uh, old words uh, already have a certain uh, interpretation and connotation with them and some of it's positive for some people and some of it's negative for other people. So I'm trying to recast the meaning in some language that might be a little more, if I was like, Jeff, can you write an interpretation or a translation of the Bible? And I would say, yes, and these were the kind of words I would use, all right, for this particular. The wife uh, bends, the word is submit, that's the old word, that's the traditional word. Uh, the wife bends, um, lowers herself, uh, gets under her husband to strengthen him. So the, the old word is submit, right? The old words are obey. Think of, um, of what you do to a child when you bend down to a child. It's to pick them up. Uh, the wife is loaded with strength. The wife is carrying. Uh, the image all the way in Genesis is of God delivering and carrying Israel, bending down and being strong for Israel. So uh, what's incredible is that Jesus, in his submission, in his bending, uh, he is strengthening and saving the other. And so the wife, in bending, is actually giving her strength to the husband. That's that warrior-princess dynamic, all right? So each spouse gets to play an aspect of the Savior. Uh, the wife's is in strengthening and delivering and helping her husband by bending to him, all right? And we can talk more about what that looks like when we have time at the end of this one. The husband leads to give to his wife. So this is a leadership that's not taking. This is a leadership that's not controlling. This is a leadership that gives, self-gives. So it's a leadership that's actually... Like in uh, Ephesians, it's building her up. Uh, it's lifting her up. So to use another, it's leading by moving and initiating so that he's giving to her in such a way that she's actually developing, growing, uh, as the scripture says in Ephesians, being sanctified and presented before God very beautiful. That's a fantastic image, right? And so the, the image of the woman is to actually, she's playing the role of the Savior to actually strengthen her husband, to actually help him be a man. Isn't that interesting? To help him be masculine, um, which is a, it's actually the stronger analogy and metaphor of the two. We think the leadership part is the strong one, but the leadership one is actually emptying yourself and giving to actually make the other lifted up and strong and become themselves. So as you can see, none of these are like, uh, should be ranked. This is never meant, gender's never meant to be a ranked thing. It's always meant to be an aspect of the part of the Trinity and particularly how Jesus relates to his church. It's an aspect of how Jesus relates to his church put on display in gender. 
We can get specific if you want to, but I'm going to stop there. So what, do, what, so what happens to here? So, so get on with your marriage and stop minimizing these roles. Stop minimizing the masculine role. Stop minimizing the feminine role. Stop. Stop. Why do we do that? Let them be. Celebrate them. Right? Let them be. Okay, that's what we've done. Tonight we're looking at communication and conflict. Next week we're going to look at sexual intimacy. Um, here's to warm us up. Are we ready? Or does someone need to ask a question because you just can't get on because of what was just said? I will, we, we can entertain that. Are, you, are we okay? Like, you're going to survive? Okay, very good. Uh, here's true or false. Communication skills... Oh, it's right here. Didn't see the black on black. There we go. Communication skills are crucial for a healthy marriage. True or false? Communication skills are crucial for a healthy marriage. Okay, let's go. True. Defend it. True. Daphne? Yeah. Excellent. So there's got to be some communication is tied in the Bible to who we are, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's the outside of what's inside. That's why, that's why we're told don't lie. That's why, right? That's why God is, tells the truth because we're, what's inside and what's out, we're to tell the truth. Speak reality. Don't live in Disney World. Okay, good. Anybody like, you know, want to say false? Anybody want to, like, get a little nitpicky? I just threw a curveball in there just for fun. I said skills. Does anybody want to run with that? Like, do you have to have communication skills? Is, is communication just skills? We can keep going. Reducing conflict is crucial for a healthy marriage. Reducing conflict is crucial for a healthy marriage. If you're going to have a healthy marriage, you better be reducing the conflict in your marriage. True or false? Oh, you people. Why, Heather? Oh, was it Ben? Did you see? All right, you were, you were so boisterous, Ben. What is it? Well, <laughs> I'm sure Heather was looking for that answer, right? Ah, yeah, yeah. Excellent. You've learned. Heather told you that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's good. Anybody else want to tackle an angle of that? How did that hit you? Reducing conflict is crucial for a healthy marriage. I mean, what does that make you think of if you're thinking false or true? Amanda. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good. Good, good. Aaron.
Why does it sound like death to you? Interesting. Good. I like that. Go, Bo, please. Is your day ruined? It's ruined. Yes. Conflict ruins your day. Good. I like that. <laughs> that was very good. No, keep going, Van. That's good. Yes. Yeah. Or 20. Yeah. No, that's really good. Okay, that was a good true or false question because you were able to take both sides, see it in both ways. That's how I know I'm, I'm getting a good true or false. All right, communication takes work. Obvious. Communication is verbal. Okay, well, let's go. It's at least verbal. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Excellent. Anybody else? Aaron, I heard you give a hearty no. What were you thinking? Excellent. There's nonverbal. Yeah, that would hurt my feelings. You intuitive people out there, Nancy, you intuitive people, do you know how many times my wife has said, honey, your heart is coming out nice and loud? And I'd be like, I haven't said a word, right? How you feel, how you think, your heart is communicating. Interesting. Okay, we'll keep going on that one. That's too, that's like too uncomfortable. Most conflicts in marriage circle around. You ready? Here they are. Most conflicts in marriage circle around gender differences, personality differences, misunderstandings, and biblical role differences breaking down. Yeah. 
I kind of was proud of that one, too. Uh, most conflicts in marriage circle around gender differences, personality differences, misunderstanding, and biblical role differences breaking down. What do you think about that one? Maybe. <laughs> There's a lot in there that it sounds good, right? It's like if you say something long enough, a long enough sentence that sounds intelligent, it's got to have something in there that's right. What are you thinking? What, what's that? You are disagreeing? Well, what's happening? Like, to let us in. I think that that's not it at all. I think it's something more basic, like you're wanting to please your God, and you're not. So and you're not getting it. And so I don't think it makes a group all the same. It's probably more similar than they all yeah. have Aaron, what did you say? Because she sounded so spiritual, she's making her argument right now. Go ahead, Aaron. What, what are you going to say to that? Okay, I like it, I like it. Yes. Anybody else feel something, think something about that statement? Do you know that books have been written about every one of those as being the major reason for conflict in marriage? So I'm not just grabbing things. I, there are actual books that say, this is the major reason for conflict in your marriage. Gender, personality, misunderstandings, biblical role differences breaking down. So just so you know, even though we might think healthily about certain areas, we're always going to be making friends and having gospel conversations in a world that's not. And so it's just helpful for us to be thinking about, let's say you have your next door neighbor, some friends, whatever, church people, over church people, under church people that are struggling in their marriage, and they're saying, you know, pinning all their hopes on this particular book, how are you going to enter into those kind of conversations? Hopefully a little bit tonight that there will be some things we can say. I have an answer here that I wrote down that we'll look at later. All right, number five, one spouse in the marriage is usually better at communicating than the other spouse. True or false? What, what did you say, Stephen? No, no. Amanda is. You say everything you think, and some. Everything. Right. Yes. Nobody else resembles that statement in here. Not at all, right, sweetie? Yes. All right, anybody else? One, is one spouse generally better at communicating than the other spouse? Is that a general thing? What's that, Gord? Wait, I didn't hear you. Say it again. Oh, yeah, that's good. So just getting off, off script here. So given that that's the case, 
how do you communicate then? How does the one that's gifted in these relational communications not just twist the other person up in knots? You know how many times I'm saying, honey, it's just not fair. It's just not fair what you're doing right now. You're better at this than me, right? <laughs> Did you have your hand up, Larry? Did you need to say something? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So how do you have two people with different ways of communicating communicate? And then you respond. Right. <laughs> well, there you go. All right. So let's think. Let's let's tease that one out. Let's. I want to pick that one up because later when we look at a text about communication. Okay. Speaking the truth in marriage can speak the other, the other meaning the spouse. Speaking the truth in marriage can speak the other back to life again or put them in the grave. Yeah, that's a pretty, that's how powerful, just for marriage's sake, if, if you're one, that's why Paul makes that argument. Remember, nobody hates his own body. What he's trying to make the husband wake up to is that you all are no longer two individual people, so your identity is actually tied to your spouse. And so what you say to each other has that kind of power. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we tend to think, no, only God can have that kind of power. No, he's actually, he's actually like... Um, stewarded, packed into us that kind of power. It's very interesting, right? Remember when uh, Adam was with God before sin, it was not good for him to be alone. Well, we, I mean, why, I, I love watching, I love watching folks that I have greatly respected over the years that have always tried to say, God is your only and everything, which is true, but still try to explain that passage. That somehow God is also packed into marriage and into community, um, a dynamic that sounds a lot like Savior-like, God-like power. Little image-bearing power, not <coughs> God power, but image-bearing power. So, of course, if a spouse uh, is speaking lies to the other spouse, it's going to destroy them. So 
your thumb gets hit by a hammer, it hurts. It's going to hurt. It's going to do something to you. Parents speaking accusations and condemnation to their children, it's going to do something to them. Right? We see this all the time. It, it matters. That's all I'm saying. It doesn't. Yes. 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 If we're worded people, if everything is upheld by the word of God, words, words do matter. Like sticks and stones, you know that thing? The words will never hurt me. Oh, I'll take a fist any day over words. Any day. Any day. Okay. Um, there's no place for accusation and condemnation in marriage. I kind of gave that away. That's true. There is no place for accusation and condemnation in marriage. Um, there certainly is speaking the truth if one particular person's gone off the rails, right? Certainly. Uh, eight, the struggle for control is a primary source of conflict in marriage. The struggle for control is a primary source of, of conflict in marriage. True or false? Yeah, why? Why would that be a, a primary, like more at the epicenter of part of conflict as opposed to maybe something else, as opposed to uh, gender differences and personality differences and misunderstandings. <laughs> ah, now we're getting to the dynamic of sin. Yeah, good one. Anybody else that this th makes you think of something that you want to say? Okay. It only takes one spouse. I'm going to say it again. We did this last week. It only takes one spouse to sanctify, to change, to redemptively transform a marriage. The answer is true. And we're going to look at a passage to actually show that. Uh, sexual intimacy is a major source of conflict in marriage. Sexual intimacy is a major source of conflict in marriage. True or false? Does anybody say false? Okay, so why is it true? Since everybody's nodding. I can call on anyone here and you're going to be able to tell me some reasons why. Sexual intimacy is a major source of conflict in marriage. Oh, like what do you mean? All right, so go with that. What do you mean? What expectations, what it is, what's dirty, what's not dirty, bad, 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 bad your whole life, and then now you can. I mean, yeah, but now outside the culture. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so I'm definitely going to answer that one next week. Good. What else? Yep. Naked. Yep. Yep. Without a doubt. So there's a vulnerability, <laughs> right? Right. You can feel rejected in that area probably more than a lot of other places. More than like, you know, you picked the restaurant this time and I wanted to go to this one, right? 
you'll get over that one pretty quick. But this one, yeah, yeah, that'd be tougher to get over. Yeah. Anything else? <laughs> I won't make it more uncomfortable than it already is. All right. The last resort for all communication and conflict resources is pulling the biblical roll card. <laughs> the last resort, you know, when you get down to all the, when you can't solve the communication issues, you can't solve the conflict issues, the last resort, man, is to pull out that, here are the biblical roles, sweetie, honey, tiger. Yes, that's really good. You hear what Amanda said? Unless it's about you won't let me serve you, right? All right, that's good. All right, so what are the top conflicts, problems in marriage today? Since we're doing communication in marriage, what, I mean, let's think of some. What are some of the top problems, issues, problems? Let's just put communication and conflict just so that they're both there. All right, I heard money. Why? Like, what are you thinking of when you're, you're thinking of money? Who said money? You said money? Aaron, why? Oh, interesting. Yeah. That's really interesting. So in one sense, it can come to represent these things, like it can, you know, this could be the, the presenting thing, and this is the real desires that are behind them, maybe an idolatry that's behind them, yeah, oh, that's good, and so to have it is to have this, you could even put like identity here, right, uh, to not have it means you lose this. So if one spouse really finds their identity in this, one person can be using it for security. Another person can be using it for control or comfort, right? So you could have, you could have, you could have like someone could come in for marriage counseling and they'll say the issue's money, right? And you start talking to them and the husband says, she just spends it like a drunken sailor, right? She's, she spends on whatever she wants. She's constantly spending money. And it would be very tempting at that point for the counselor to turn towards the wife and go, so are you spending like a drunken sailor, right? And never address that he's over here penny-pinching because for him, money is perfect control, and it gives him a sense of security. Now, they might have different idols, but they're both using money in the same way, and both need to see what's happening. Yes, yes. Okay. Yep. 
so it's really interesting that we're kind of getting to the root of some things here on communication and conflict. Yeah. In fact, we're going to look at James in a second, and I think we're all going to be like, hmm, interesting. But what are some top issues maybe we should say for, for this group, since this is such an advanced group, um, top presenting issues, right? Top presenting issues, since y'all are so deep and you've gone in your, your biblical anthropology. What would be some to- other top presenting issues? Parenting, Heather? Yeah, explain that one. Or what are you thinking when you're thinking of parenting? Yep. 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 Yeah. Oh, yeah, insecurities. Yeah. Yeah, that's another universe, right? That has many things in them. Huh. What else? Time. What do you mean? Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, that's good. Because this can have a whole host of things attached to it, right? Yeah. Isn't it interesting? Yeah. All right, what other presenting? I think that's a good way to say this. What are some other presenting issues? In-laws. I just heard another one. Acquired family. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll just say family. All right, what else? Ah, yes. Right, because, and then you could just see here too what someone's maybe their understanding of the biblical roles, applying the biblical roles, all of a sudden they've attached certain applications of what a leader, what a leading looks like, what what uh, bending and submitting looks like, and all of a sudden you've got applications, and now those applications become like canonized. They become theology and doctrine. And so this is what it looks like to be the biblical, I mean, there's a whole book on it, biblical manhood and womanhood, Right? Uh, it's amazing to me always when books get real specific and go really, really far beyond the general theology and ideations and images that the scripture gives. And all of a sudden, this is what it looks like here. This is what it looks like here. This is what it looks like here, right? Those things, you just, you don't want those kind of books. All right, what else? 
public versus private persona life. Yeah. Yeah. That, all right. So what are you thinking? Give me, give me. Yep. Which gets, yes, so you get this, I mean, what would we, what would we say is going on, like, if we were to kind of attach the heart to this thing, what would be, what would generally kind of happen here if it's real important to have something here that's not here, but something here that needs to be maintained and imaged, what, what would be, what's that? Yeah, vanity, yeah. Fear of man, people pleasing, approval, human approval is really, really big. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Anything else up here? Yeah, you become roommates, right? Yeah, so interests. Um, finding intentionality on doing things together with same interests. Good. Excellent. Anything else? It's like, you know, these are some of the bigger ones that we want to make sure we talk about. Anybody else? Okay. All right. So we're going to do what we always do. We're going to look at some clues and certain passages to help us with communication and conflict. So we're going to look at passages and we're going to find, does this passage give us any help in communication and in conflict, okay? So let's start with James 4, since that's just such a pivotal passage that I think if we are able to gain some helpful clues here, it really sets the stage for kind of the heart of things. James 4, I'm just going to read it out loud. Uh, I'm going to go one. Uh, I'm going to go one through eight. No, one through ten. Uh, so, what causes? That's always an interesting comment. If the Bible says cause, it's just huge. Like if the Bible says, "Here's the cause of something," and particularly, "Here's the cause of your quarrels and your fights." Here's the cause of conflict. That's a huge thing. Right? <laughs> that's that's massive. So what causes, the question, I love it, what causes quarrels, what causes fights among you? Is it not this? If the Bible ever says, is it not this, the answer is yes. All right, it's always yes. You don't have to wonder, what do they mean? Are they leaving? No, it's yes. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Now, the word passions is another one of those English translations that don't necessarily communicate rightly because passions and desires uh, are all over the Bible and are good things. And so, yeah, I mean, so again, that doesn't even help. Is it your pleasures? Okay, so are we saying all the things we just listed up here is the desire to have peace in your marriage a bad thing? Is there a desire to have emotional comfort a bad thing? Is the desire to have some security and safety to be loved and spoken and respected to, is, is this bad stuff? So what's great about the 
the Greek, the original, is that it has words that are actually better. And sometimes, again, translators have to make decisions with the vocabulary they have. And I wish sometimes they would just give you the word anyway and make everybody understand it because the word actually will help you understand it better than the stupid word they actually inserted in it. Passions, desires, pleasures does not do it for me. Um, And then sometimes, to really confuse us, they'll put evil in front of it. So what makes a passion or a pleasure evil? What makes a passion or a pleasure or a desire not? You see how it's just, that's an That was a translation decision. But there's an original word that actually helps us. And here's what, I'm going to just give it to you. You ready? What causes uh, quarrels and fights among you? Is it not this, that your epi, epi, mega desires, epi, mega, over desires, epithume, epi, over, mega, your mega desires are at war within you. Now that communicates. You and I have mega desires. Not just a desire, it's, it's a mega desire. And in fact, when, when Paul and everyone out, when Paul writes about the flesh, he describes the flesh, the sinful nature, as one big mega desire. Isn't that fascinating? And so you can have a desire for sleep that becomes a mega desire for sleep. You can have a desire to be loved and respected that can become an epi over mega desire. It actually has grown beyond what it's supposed to be. It's actually moved into the divine realm. Mega epi over is godlike. You have a godlike desire. So that's what's happening here. So let's keep going. Is it not this? Uh, you have a mega desire that's at war within you. You have a mega desire and you don't have it, so you murder. You covet, which is mega desire again, and can't obtain it, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask because you do not receive because you ask wrongly. In other words, to spend it on your mega desire. That makes, this makes more sense to me. I don't know if it helps you. You adulterous people. But now that's just basically saying you, you have an, a, a spiritual adultery going on. You're making something else your lover than God on an ultimate cosmic scale, right? This communicates. Uh, do you not know? And that's where he goes into this friendship of the world. What I want to go down to is uh, look at uh, verse 5. Or do you suppose that to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble, and here we go. And then it talks in the language of repentance. So, what clues to communication and conflict in marriage are found here? I mean, right off the bat, we all are going to say, well, this mega thing, that's a clue. Most conflict is not over um, some extraordinary, like, you know, honey, we won the lottery, and I want to spend $3 billion over here, and you want to spend... It's over everyday, normal, ordinary desires. When, when, um, when one spouse wants, like, let's say, just wants some emotional and uh, physical comfort, like, 
I just want some comfort. I just want some comfort. That's all. And the other spouse, uh, is that wrong? No, right? And then let's say the other spouse, though, uh, wants um, to resolve this conflict. Is there anything wrong with one spouse wanting to resolve a conflict? No. But when one spouse wants peace and comfort and one spouse wants to resolve a conflict, right, so far so good. But what happens when one or both go mega? Major conflict. Is this not why there are fights and quarrels among you? Of course it is, right? And so what James is doing is incredibly helpful in that what the Bible says is mostly 99.9% of our conflict, it's usually us. It's, some, it's called sin. It's something wrong with us. It's not gender differences. It's not our personality differences. We do have those things, and those things are incredibly helpful, and those things can be part of a knot. But remember, it's not the differences in and of themselves that are the issue, it's that they go mega. Like, let's say, you know, if, if you're an introvert and your other spouse is an extrovert, is there anything wrong with that? No. But when either one needs mega epi over, that particular aspect of their desires needs it, and it must happen, and now you have something on the schedule it's a threat to that, or for one person, it's yay. For the other person, it's hell no, right? There's conflict. So what's going to happen? You see how this works? It's, it's, it's brilliant. It's absolutely like it's brilliant because it's reality. And James is just like, let me tell you reality, right? All right. Um, what did you hear? What other things do you hear about this passage that you think is a clue to helping us with conflict? Yeah. So there's a dynamic here that there is actually a place to actually express and communicate your desires. Yeah, that's right. So our hearts are communicating all the time, and that's, it's going to have verbiage, it's going to have non-verbiage but it's always going to be there. Our hearts, mega desires are always going to be there. So the goal right now, though, is not to be like trying to get a handle of what your mega desire is. The goal that James is after right now is just for you to see this is what you're like. This is who you are. The goal is not to fix your mega desire right now. Uh, and that's what you perfectionists out there uh, are, are trying to now, okay, I'm going to work on that mega desire right? That's not how you're supposed to hear this. You're supposed to hear that this is reality, and you're supposed to hear that this is your experience, and you're supposed to hear that that's exactly where the gospel 
needs to go. That's what we're supposed to do. And that's why you have, but he gives more grace. I mean, what a great place. There's this mega epi over desire. In other words, if you were in the Old Testament, they would say an idol, right? It's the same thing. It's the same exact thing. And then in the midst of this thing that's like mega epi over, like dominating God-like, but he gives more grace. And so God actually is the only thing that can address your mega epi over desire. He's the only one big enough to do so. So then we're going to go into a couple of things just to give you some images. I wrote all these different (laughs) images down. But that's why if you think of yourself as a God-shaped, God-sized whole, which you are, then you're always going to have this epi, the flesh, let's just say the sinful nature, the old self, the edemic self, the collapsed nature, um, the zombie self, whatever you want to call the sinful nature. It is only and always a God-shaped, God-sized hole. It only has a hole that it's like, fill me, right? It's only like, I need a God. I need a Savior. It's just constantly trying to, and what it's pulling into it is you. Because you are going to be your own Lord and Savior, and you're going to tell yourself, here's the works that will save me. Here's the strategies of self-salvation. This justification, if Paul was here, it's justification by works. The sinful nature is only and always justification by works. Only and always. So here's what we got. We got this thing going on, but the gospel addresses and can only fill a God-shaped, God-sized hole. And so that's where we we've, we've talked over and over again about the cup um, Uh, Keller has this great image in the meaning of marriage. He has the vacuum cleaner versus being filled with the spirit, which we just looked at today. And a vacuum cleaner, the Hoover, uh, you're either going to relate to each other like a vacuum cleaner or you're going to the other controlling image is being filled. See the difference? One's empty, right? Sucking, sucking the spouse, sucking everything because you're God-shaped, God-sized whole, and you've got to fill it so You're going to suck the spouse to try to fill it. They don't do it. You're going to suck for whatever to try to fill it. Things, people, places, good things like respect. You're going to try to make it's epi mega over desire. You're going to make respect try to fill that thing. And that doesn't do it. You're going to go to power. You're going to go to all these things. It's endless options. It's an endless smorgasbord. That's just what the flesh does. The other image, though, that Paul gives is that you can be filled with the spirit. What a great picture. One is a vacuum cleaner that's sucking and the other is you can be filled with the spirit and we know that being filled with the spirit is being filled with jesus and his salvation that the words that paul uses is the love of god filling you and flooding you in that same chapter the grace of god and the mercy of god gentle uh, gentle and lowly who the savior is for you that actually When the gospel addresses our mega epi over desires, it wins because God gives more grace. And there's a replacement that happens. And functionally, experientially, you begin to lose your appetite over things that you have tried to get that roll around in a God-shaped, God-sized hole. They literally, like, this little thing is rolling around in a God-shaped, doesn't fill it. But... Jesus and his salvation begins to actually touch you and reach you at the bottom most 
places of your soul. And now you've become more of, in your communication, when we're being filled, learning to build our messy life and our messy marriage around Jesus and his salvation, there's actually, you start sucking less and loving more. And that's what we all want in, our healthy, in a healthy marriage. We want to suck less and love more. We want to be a vacuum, a hoover less, and a lover more, right? So that's one practical way how we can see the gospel address it. The other is this. Um, now, I'm not even going to use that one. We're just going to move on. Let's get going because we are about ready to be out of time. I wanted to get to this one at least before we run out. Matthew 7 Verse 3 and 4 and 5. Why do you seek the speck that's in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take out the log in your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck in your brother's eye. Um, what this passage is basically saying, inherently you and I have a log in our eye and we don't see it. And inherently, in your marriage, your, your spouse has a speck in their eye. And you think it's a log, but the log's in your eye. And so when we think of the dynamics of our marriage, I have always, um, I don't know where I heard this, probably from Trip or somebody a long time ago, but it, it stuck with me, and I, and I say it all the time to anyone, and when any of us come and we have this conversation, uh, the, the worst sinner in your marriage is you. And if I get that into my bones, it changes almost everything. But if I'm convinced of the log in my spouse, in Nancy's eye, that she's the worst sinner in this marriage, everything, you know, it's like the earth just rotates. Everything just shifts. It's cataclysmic. But if you and I see each other as the worst sinner in the marriage, uh, that is a, that's a game changer. It's a real game changer. Uh, and and what, that, what, what Jesus is actually saying, if we do see that way, it's, he says we see clearly. Imagine that. We, we all want to see clearly, right? We all want to, what's going on here, you know? How come we're having the same discussion and the same thing? What's going on with you? What's going on with me? you actually will start seeing clearly the moment you actually say, I'm the problem. When you actually see that I'm the biggest sinner in this marriage, not my, not my wife, not my husband, I am. That's a game changer. And remember in the first passage, James 4, why do you think, why do you think James said immediately after this mega desire, he gives more grace and he says, and God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. Grace goes downhill. So the one who's, when spouses are saying, who's the worst sinner in this marriage, and both of them raise their hand, grace is running downhill, right? That's a healthy marriage. But when one thinks they're here and the other one's here, there's always going to be an unhealthiness. And the one that's bringing the unhealthiness is this one, not this one, okay? All right, uh, one last thought, and we'll call it quits. Um, okay, there's a passage, and we're just going to say, there's a passage in Peter, we've said it before, where uh, Peter is actually talking to a wife, 
uh, and the wives. And he says, listen, he says to a group of wives, probably in his church, you know, in his church or the churches that he was writing to, and he says, listen, your husband's a jerk. He's a jerk. He's lost whatever. Um, but, but, there's always hope. And it was interesting that he goes to the wives because he says it only takes one. It only takes one spouse. It only takes one spouse to believe the gospel and that marriage radically changes. It only takes one. And it's efficacious. In other words, it's powerful. And what Peter was trying to encourage the spouse, this one, the wives, he was just talking to the wives at this time. He was just trying, and he could be talking to the, the husbands. He'd say the same thing to the husbands. In fact, he does later on say that almost the same thing, just in a different way. If one of us, if one of you believes the gospel, things will recover quickly. It's absolutely impossible for me if Nancy and I are in an argument or in a fight or whatever, and she comes up and gives me a kiss and tells me she loves me, uh, for me to still be mad. It's absolutely impossible. Absolute, and it's absolutely impossible for any of you, right? Even when you're the most hardened person in there and it's all your fault. If one person believes the gospel uh, and, and is able, and that's what's so interesting in this passage, what he, says to the, what he says to the wife, he says, don't fear. That's what he tells the wife. This is last thing. He says, don't fear. Move, love, move towards, believe, build your life around Jesus, and don't live in fear in your, in your marriage. Move towards him with boldness, courage. So if one person believes the gospel, it actually brings boldness and courage and life. It brings supernatural resources into this thing. And things change. So even those of you that have children and you're wondering about your children, if you're the parent and you're believing the gospel for your children, that's powerful. Even when you don't see anything going on. And even when they get older and you don't see anything going on and you wonder what's going on, you believing on their behalf and interacting with them as the one that believes is a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Okay, that's it for tonight. Next week, we'll just take a boring subject of sex and marriage. Amen. Go in peace. <laughs>